Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live, in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. We begin our show today with some questions. Listener, what drives your decision-making process? Is it your faith in God or your faith in the culture that surrounds you? In today's politically polarized environment, many of us are combining our deeply ingrained cultural or social assumptions with our religious identity. What challenges can this bring when we do? Perhaps it's best that we separate the two, but how? Here to help us answer those questions via Skype is Bettina Krauss, editor of Liberty Magazine, which is the sponsor of this program. Bettina, faith or culture, which needs to take the lead in our dance of life? Well, Charles, I don't think anyone would hesitate to answer that question with a resounding faith. Mm -hmm. Faith should take the lead. But here's the problem. How do we ensure that it takes the lead? Mm -hmm. And let me tell you what's behind this whole conundrum, for me at least. And it's a piece of advice I received many years ago. And it's a piece of advice that I have since faithfully dispensed to many, many people. And it sounds very, very wise. And that piece of advice is don't let your politics shape your faith. Let your faith shape your politics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you'll agree that sounds like a pretty good idea, right? It would seem so, yes, yes. But the problem is when you try to put that into practice, you see how difficult it is to separate out those strands of faith from our assumptions and our cultural biases and our political allegiances that all get sort of interwoven together and they shape how we see the world around us and they shape our sense of identity in that world. Look at it this way. Go back to your childhood. I'm sure your childhood, Charles, was different to mine. Yes. No one chooses where they were born. I was born in Australia. I was born in a small town, uh, rural New South Wales, and my sense of identity as I grew up was shaped by the culture I grew up in, the teachers that taught me at school, my parents, my church. And all these factors served to enculturate me into the norms of the community into which I was born. Now, that's a fancy sociological term, but it is a phenomenon that is inherent in the human experience. Because no matter who we are, we are unconsciously, you know, without even realizing it, we're absorbing pieces of information, bits of data that we take on as truth and as part of our identity, as part of the way that we look at the world around us. And when we bring into that reality the fact of Christianity, the fact of faith, we start getting a little uncomfortable because we're being asked to separate out what faith is as opposed to what our enculturated norms are. And that is, quite frankly, an almost superhuman ask. Yeah. Are you identifying faith then as the same as beliefs or dogma? 
Well, yes, it encompasses that. I, I'm talking about faith in the sense of the worldview that we have, mm. the perspective that is informed by our spiritual allegiances. Some of these are very clear. You know, many of us belong to denominations that have written creeds. We understand the doctrines of our faith. Yet there's a lot of gray area in there as well, where we're asked to apply those clear dogmas or principles to everyday life. Yes, yes. And that's where it can get messy, especially when you bring it into the realm of how we relate to our nation, to our political culture. In case anyone's wondering whether this is just sort of an abstract discussion that we're having here, Charles, something that doesn't have any real world experience or impact, let me just remind our listeners of the Rwandan genocide back mm. in 1994. Oh, yes. You have, in the space of just a few months, Hutus and Tutsis, more than a million killed. And as the stories came out later, you, you heard these incredibly tragic stories of individuals who previously had worshipped together in a congregation, but because they belonged to different tribes, they turned against each other and engaged in cold-blooded murder. So they're claiming the name of Christ, they're claiming the name of their faith, and yet they're engaging in inhumane acts. And you know, this is a very extreme example, but it's a case of where our faith allegiance and our national or tribal or political allegiance come into conflict. Which one is going to win? And how do we know when there is indeed a conflict? Or are we unconsciously conflating our religious beliefs with our political opinions or political allegiances? And that is where it starts to get both tricky and dangerous. I see where you're going with this thing, because like you say, the Rwanda genocide was was culture run amok over faith. And faith didn't seem to be able to overpower it because people of faith absorbed the culture. Is that what I hear you saying? Absolutely. It's yeah. because tribal identity yeah. trumped the recognition of each other as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. If they had stayed with their faith, if they had just been faith-based, this would not have happened. If that culture is anti-faith, can we add that to it too? Indeed, although these situations are never as as clear-cut as we think they may be. I mean, think, for instance, of Germany, 1930s, where we have good patriotic Christians dutifully supporting the Nazi regime. You know, this is before the horrors of the Holocaust, before the horrors of the Second World War. But Christians are supporting this regime because they see in this regime a return to political order, a return to some of the values of the German people and restoring the pride of the German people. And these things are not inherently bad things, right? right, right. right? Yeah. And yet we see over the course of years, we see Christians being drawn into a support for a regime which was most clearly horrifyingly inhumane. And it was a slow process for many of absorption. The initial 
feelings of wanting to feel national pride, of wanting to restore the economy, of wanting to restore the fortunes of the German people after the crippling First World War. I mean, these were not inherently a bad thing. But we need to be, I believe, on guard, especially when we see or hear or suspect that faith is being conflated, is being confused with Mm, political ideology. Apparently, there's a line there that was crossed not only with the Rwandans, but also with the, the Nazis. When their culture began to absorb the faith or vice versa, there was a line that was crossed and went from something good to something horrific. Mm. How do we identify that line? How do you say, okay, there's the line, don't cross that? And this is where it gets difficult because we are generally in the pews of our church or or house of worship for an hour or so each week. But for the rest of the time, we are being discipled, if you will, in uh, the theology of politics. And that is via technology these days, through Facebook, through Twitter, through online platforms of many kinds. We are being schooled into what values are important, what opinions we should hold. We are being discipled into the norms of whatever community of political allegiance we have. And when we are spending comparatively little time, I guess, being schooled, being discipled into the norms of our faith, it's easy to see how we can start getting an imbalance there. I'm not sure, Charles, if you've heard of the theory of horseshoe politics. No, what's that? Okay, so it's a theory of politics, which was first articulated by a French philosopher about 20 years ago. And what he pointed out was that the political spectrum doesn't run in a straight line with right on one end, left on the other. When you see the political spectrum in practice, it's actually shaped as a horseshoe with the extreme ends bending down and almost touching each other. And the point is this, that regardless of what political ideology we subscribe to, once we start moving to the extremes of the spectrum, whether it's on the left or the right, the lived experience of that starts to resemble each other in terms of authoritarian, in terms of totalitarian, in terms of increasingly violent approaches to how we defend and articulate our political ideas. And what I hope for Christians is that our faith will always be the sort of moderating influence that prevents us from drifting down to the ends of the horseshoe, whether we're motivated by left or right wing politics. For Christians, our faith should keep us away from those extremes. It should keep us toward the the center of that horseshoe, keeping a clear-eyed, open-minded approach to what we see and hear in the world around us and the values that people are trying to sell us. We need to, in a way, stand back from it, keep distance, keep perspective, and try to assess things in ways that doesn't engage our more cultural or historical or sociological allegiances. It's not easy. You can say that, but when you try to put that into practice, it's a very, very difficult task and one that requires a great deal of humility. 
You know, even as you say that, I think of the life of Christ, and he was able to do that. He was able to float above extremism on both sides. What was his secret? How was he able to not bend the ends of that horseshoe? He constantly demonstrated and also articulated the reality that no nation could ever fully embody the values of God's kingdom. He made very clear that his kingdom was not of this world. I mean, you look at his words, to render to Caesar what Caesar's, to God what's God. You know, my kingdom is not of, of this world. He couldn't have been clearer that whatever social and political arrangements we make here on earth, they do not embody his vision and his ideals. That's not to say that we can't try to influence our earthly kingdoms with Christ's ideals, but we can never look to them to fully embody those ideals. Hmm. But Tina, as always, thank you so much for sharing from your heart today. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure. And until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Bettina Krauss, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call 443-391-7258 or email us through our website at libertymagazine.org. Join us again next week at the same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. <music>